Sometimes faith can feel as cold as winter, and it can look as dark as winter too. I grew up in the cold in Wisconsin, so I understand being physically cold. But I also understand being spiritually cold, feeling distant from God because of depression, because of sickness, because of friends dying. I feel distance from God often, and I used to fight those feelings, but now I embrace them, and I sit with them. Winter Faith has become my new home. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast because sometimes faith feels like winter. We're now recording. Welcome to the Winter Faith Podcast today. Um, again, my name is Andy, and I believe that we all have moments of winter faith in our journey. Sometimes these seasons or moments last days, sometimes weeks, sometimes years. But I do feel like as a person who grew up in Wisconsin, I understand what winter is like. And sometimes our faith can feel like winter. We can feel that God is distant. God is cold. Um, Maybe God is an angry father to us, um, but we all have times where we feel distant from God, or if you're not comfortable with that, just the idea of feeling distant from your faith. And so that's what we try to talk about on this podcast. And today I'm um, joined by my uh, guest, Kat, and I just want you to tell me a little bit about yourself and and, um, maybe talk about your book that you just released as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm grateful and excited to be here and be chatting with you. Yeah, my my name is Kat. I just came out with a book called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. And really that journey for me, the book is my experience of growing up in Southern evangelical Christian culture at the height of the purity movement. So that's a mouthful in it of itself. So I became a Christian in high school and learned very quickly that good Christian boys and girls don't have sex until marriage Mm -hmm. and learned things like women should hide their bodies because men are more sexual than women. And so put on the shoulders of myself and an entire gender was the sexual responsibility of an entire gender. Um, I learned that girls should probably be quiet and in the background. And I just, I learned these things explicitly and implicitly from Christian culture and never really questioned any of them because I loved God. And I trusted the leaders in my life for telling me truth. And so I didn't have sex and I covered my body and tried to be a good, submissive, quiet girl. The only problem is like, there's really nothing quiet and mousy about me. And it was, it really wasn't until my late twenties when I moved to New York city, I, I've, I have been a wedding and editorial photographer for about 15 years now. And I moved to New York upwards of a decade ago to pursue my editorial career. And 
dating in New York was not like dating in the South. And is New York not like Lubbock? I thought they were pretty similar. Oh my gosh. I mean, (laughs) they probably couldn't be further apart. (laughs) Although I actually opened my book with a quote about Lubbock, Texas. It's like something like growing up in Lubbock, Texas taught me, taught me a few things. It taught me like, one is like, you're going to like, you're going to go and burn it. Like sex is the most awful thing in the whole world. And you're going to burn in hell. And -hmm. then the next thing is that like, you should save sex for someone you love. So this like, this is very like confusing message. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I basically got to a crossroads where I was like, I'm tired of feeling shamed. I'm tired of not having sex. I'm tired of playing this game of mental gymnastics to hold my virginity intact. And so I went on a journey to really research everything I could find in the Bible and outside of the Bible about sex and orgasms and gender roles and God and what I believed about all of it. And is, does God have anything compelling to say about sex? And so Um, so yeah, that was kind of a personal journey for me for years. And then it somehow got leaked out into the world. (laughs) Um, I've had, like I said, this photography business for many years and Mm -hmm. a blog and platform that was, had more to do with social media marketing and brand strategy for Mm -hmm. many years. And then I started talking about this journey of figuring out what I believe about God and sex and deconstructing my faith and sexuality and the sexual scripts I was given. And lo and behold, now I've written a book about it. <laughs> Never thought I would be here. Yet. Yeah. You yeah. didn't, you didn't set out to, for this journey of a professional career as a, like a sex expert or something <laughs> like that was not your career at all. And you come up with this idea for, you know, sexless in the city, which is a great title. Just great title. Like I just, the moment I saw it, I was like, I really like this title. (laughs) This is so good. And then I hear that you grew up in Lubbock and I'm like, man, my roommates from Lubbock, I've never been there, but it's like a previous roommate from school. And um, yeah, I just think that compared to New York city, that like, that is funny in itself. Um, And so I just think it's cool that you ran with this idea that um, was it, was it ever like uncomfortable or were you always so like willing to dive in, dive into the subject matter? Is it ever uncomfortable to talk publicly about your sex or sexless life? (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, Also just for clarification, I didn't grow up in Lubbock, Texas. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. So um, still Texas, still the South, but not Lubbock. Um, yeah, sure. Um, so honestly, I've always been the type of person that if there's an elephant in the room, I'm going to address it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I came out of the womb ruffling feathers. I, I've kind of always been the person in my family. That's like, Hey, what's going on here? Uh, are we going to talk about this dynamic? Are we going to be passive aggressive? Like I've just always kind of, I don't know what you want to call that a truth teller, a ruffler of feathers, um, a person that wears her heart on her sleeves. And Mm -hmm. so when it came to me getting to a place where I didn't know if I wanted to save sex for marriage anymore, Mm -hmm. 
I talked about it with everyone. I talked about it with my parents. I talked about it with strangers on the subway. I talked about it with people at bars and parties and pastors and leaders and Christians and non-Christians and Jewish feminists and agnostics and atheists. I think I've just and, you know, I will say that for a long time, I, I'm not going to say that I always felt comfortable talking about it, but I think what happened is once I started talking about it and the more people I talked with my experience about the more I realized, okay, the most base level, the most normal thing about being human, <laughs> like, yes, we need oxygen. We mm -hmm. need food in our bellies and we need sleep and stuff like that, a roof over our head, but it's so normal to have sexual desire. Right. It's one of the, it's a very normal human experience. Everyone has it. Um, right. and so let's just start talking about it. And the more I started talking about it, the more comfortable I got because it just felt so human. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. So I think I, I mean, I never thought I would be talking publicly about masturbation as much as I am, Sure. but I think for me, it was just, I, I feel like whether you grow up in a religious culture or not, I think at some point, every person will have experienced sexual shame, whether it's something like experiencing abuse or mm -hmm. expectations put on you by family, peers, culture, religious institutions, um, right. yourself. It, I think wherever you land on the spectrum, it's like, I've just experienced, I felt shame for so long because I hadn't done a lot sexually. And then I had talked right. with so many people on the other side of the spectrum that felt shame for being too promiscuous, quote unquote. And so mm -hmm. I, I just got to a point where I was like really tired of shame. And so what can we do to dismantle shame? We bring the darkness to light. We talk about the things. So I decided I'm going to get really comfortable talking about taboo topics like mm -hmm. sex and desire and pleasure and orgasms and masturbation, because the only way we can have holistic conversations and about this is if we get comfortable normalizing what is a very normal human experience. Yeah, absolutely. Would you talk a little bit about kind of, you know, definitely what you're talking about had a foundation somewhere. So like, mm -hmm. what was the foundation of sex for you? And I would say that, um, you know, sexuality and faith have a lot to say to each other too, just from mm -hmm. my, I guess my experience, like, you know, Genesis chapter one, like it's about Adam and Eve, like, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's this idea that, even built into the fabric is like the sexuality of humanity built into mm -hmm. creation mm -hmm. by a good and loving God. And so, you know, I think faith and sexuality are really connected and that that's kind of why I'm interested in, in what you have to say and, and mm -hmm. how you weave those topics together. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I think one of the most helpful things for me was I read this, I read this book by Deborah Hirsch called redeeming sex. And she, from the very get-go defines sexuality and spirituality and kind of her running definition is that sexuality is the human desire that we all have to connect outside of ourselves with lowercase others, lowercase O others. Lowercase so the human others. desire in all of us to connect with people. 
And in that, that includes sex and body parts touching and orgasms, but it's actually so much more than that. And I think what my experience of what sex was from church all the way to culture was that sexuality is sex. Like sexuality Mm -hmm. is orgasm. Sexuality is physical intimacy. And I had this from church to culture, this one dimensional flattened definition and experience of what sex was and is. And then because of that, what my sexuality was and is, but with this definition, it kind of the picture I got from it was that if sexuality were a book, sex and physical intimacy would be one chapter. And so connecting with others and creating new things is being connected to your sexuality. It's being connected to desire. It's so much more than just erotic love or eroticism. Mm -hmm. And something about that felt really true to me and multifaceted and dimensional and nuanced and layered. And then she goes on to describe spirituality is the human desire that we all have to connect outside of ourselves with capital O other. It's that urge within every human to connect with the divine. And so one is really a shadow of the other. And so we, and Rob Bell puts it like this in his book, Sex God, which is one of my favorite books. Um, You can't really talk about sex without at some point talking about God. And you can't really talk about God without some point talking about sex. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the two are inextricably linked. And I think that when we're talking about sex and sexuality, I think really the physical aspects of that and everything, I believe this in every area of my life, that the physical is never really just about the physical, right? It's always an invitation to going below the surface. I think the physical is a manifestation of the spiritual, whether it's I'm stressed and my jaw is clenched and my shoulders are up to my ears. That is a physical manifestation of what's going on below the surface. When our bodies are touching, when we experience orgasms and intimacy, it's this physical expression of this below the surface desire of connection, the desire that all humans have to be known and seen and loved and, um, and wanted and needed. And I think really what sex can really show us is this desire to be fully known and fully seen. And yeah, for like, oh yeah, you think I'm hot. Like I want you to see me, but also like, I want you to see my cellulite (laughs) and my stretch marks and see me and that be beautiful. And that is where I think where, where the desire for God comes in. Cause I think the human desire to connect with the divine is the human desire to be fully known and fully exposed and fully seen, not just for the, um, shiny parts of us, but our shadow sides as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's man, there's so many different things, you know, I love, I, I loved your book. I've, you know, I've, um, gone through and read it. I can't hold it up because it was, you know, a digital Kindle version. Ah. So I could, you know, should I, so I could read it before we talk today, but I just, yeah, there's a couple of things that really stood out to me and yeah, um, what you've already mentioned, the connection to God and sexuality, and also this idea that culture has of what it means to be sexy. I don't know if you quite phrase it that way, but just this idea of like being present 
like mm-hmm. actually like really being present and really knowing the other person mm-hmm. on a, a more deep like emotional spiritual level that sexuality is supposed to be like an expression of that you already said um i mean that really resonated with me because i was like mm-hmm. that makes so much sense like the mm-hmm. intimacy of being present and like yeah. i feel like being present is kind of like this i don't know in the more therapeutic world that we are finding ourselves in i feel like it can sometimes be um overused and Mm -hmm. almost like you know we can like make fun of like okay the gift my present is to be presents to you and and that's all well and true but I do think there's just something so important about that and so this idea that I had for like winter faith is like when God doesn't feel present with you Mm -hmm. when you go to church and it doesn't feel like the people around you are being very present Mm-hmm. because they're looking at their phone or they're addicted to sex or they're addicted to pride or there's abuse. But, you know, there's all these things where like you're trying to shed a, a good light on on sexuality. But we do know that there's this huge shadow side of of not only church abuse regarding sexuality, but just the world and how we've used sexuality. Um, like the the stat that I read pretty recently, one out of every three women is either beaten or sexually abused in our world mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty staggering stat. So when we mm-hmm. look at those shadow sides and when you look at kind of your own journey, what have been those times where you feel, you know, like, okay, I'm in a shadow period. I'm in a winter mm-hmm. period away from God. Yeah. Oh man, that's a really good question. So when I feel that God is far or not present, that's mm-hmm. the question. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I actually, I have like notes written about what I was going to share. Um, but I feel like this feels more pertinent to our conversation Mm -hmm. to be frank, launching this book. Yeah. I felt really far from God. Okay. I signed my book deal. You know, this has been my book, my journey of like, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about sex? Like, what do I believe about gender roles? This was something that I went through seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is still very important to me, but I wrote my book in the middle of a pandemic and was isolated from my community, my faith community. I was I left New York for the first time in seven years and was living with my parents for three and a half months and which is when I wrote the first draft of the manuscript and which was really beautiful to just get to like be at the home that I grew up in yeah um but then you know so much has happened this last year um not only have none of us ever gone through a pandemic but this was the first time in 20 plus years that I wasn't going to church every week that I wasn't leading a small group being a part of the prayer ministry and it Um, I feel like something really snapped in me in the last year when, when everything kind of went down with Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, the response or lack thereof from the white evangelical church was so disillusioning for me. I was just like, forget it. (laughs) Like I'm freaking done. Like I'm done. And then to see the white evangelical response to the election Mm -hmm. and the um, 
people storming the Capitol in the name of Jesus. And to see over, even over the last year, one of my pastors that I was a part of a church for years and served and to have this pastor be exposed very publicly for having affairs on his wife when he would preach all the time to not have sex until marriage. And so I feel like I just have felt so over all of it and not sure how I fit into the church. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like when you, I, it's like, I didn't necessarily feel far from God. I just felt done and feel done and very disconnected from what is a lot of Christian culture in America Okay. and figuring out like, what does that look like for me? And then, um, I mean, man, the Christian hate that I've gotten from my book is I mean, that part, it was the, it was, it got really, really bad. Um, about a week, the few weeks leading up to my book launch. I mean, you would think that I would have just told people to like go on a murdering spree or something. So (laughs) what kind of like you're getting, I don't know if this is a phrase like digital pushback or like, yeah, just like like a lot of online bullying. So online stuff. Okay. And primarily because, well, first of all, like I'm still in a place where I am choosing not to have sex. Mm-hmm. And so there's that part of my story. But when and I started talking, there's sorry, there's pushback on that too from. No, but okay. when I started okay. talking publicly about Black Lives Matter, anti Asian mm-hmm. hate, mm-hmm. Um, when I started talking publicly about um, voting pro life. and um, politics. When I started talking, when I started asking very public questions about what is sex? Is it one act? Is it a pool of experiences? Mm -hmm. Is masturbation really a sin? Can you masturbate without using pornography? Um, Are women really supposed to be in the background? I don't think I'm supposed to submit to my husband. I'm actually looking for a partner, not a Bible study leader. And so me just kind of saying these questions out loud, the questions in and of themselves, I think felt and have and feel very threatening to evangelical culture. And I get it. I grew up in that culture where it was like, don't have sex as a vote, vote red. As a Christian, my duty was to vote pro-life. Um, there's no racism in the church. Mm-hmm. If you're gay, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. So like all these things that I was taught for a really long time. And at this point, what I'm trying to do through my book and through my platform is to say, hey, let's take these conversations and actually have a conversation. And if we're going to look at something like masturbation, let's look at every side of it. So if we're going to come to the conversation with an agenda to prove that masturbation is like all wrong all the time, we're actually not coming with a posture of curiosity to really research and look at this thing. If we come to the table saying that all sexual desire is bad all the time or pleasure is disgusting, Mm -hmm. then we're going to find evidence of whatever our agenda is. And so what I am trying to do is, Hey, let's have a nuanced conversation a lot of this stuff is actually gray. So how can we hold space for questions for doubt? And I think by mere nature of me not creating a script of like, 
never have sex, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or masturbation is all bad or all the whatever politics, racism, injustice. Um, I think that it upsets the apple cart because it's asking, it's basically telling the church, um, hello, we've got to do better. Like giving people a list of do's and don'ts in order to control someone's transformation from the outside in is actually not working and it's oppressive. And one of the do's and don'ts is to don't question the list. Right. It's like, listen, keep your mouth shut, keep your head down. And I think once I started looking up, I was like, wait, first of all, the more I read the Bible, the more freaking provocative and scandalous Jesus is. Right. I'm like, whoa, like Jesus constantly acknowledge the cultural tradition and religious tradition Mm -hmm. like the woman caught in adultery culturally she deserved death women didn't have any rights women didn't have a voice in culture religiously she sinned she deserved death right and yet jesus offered her life relationship dignity to a woman a woman who was nothing the ostracized vulnerable and oppressed in first century 80 society both in church and culture. And mm-hmm. yet Jesus blew the whole thing out of the water. And he mm-hmm. never defended why he wasn't following the religious tradition. Mm-hmm. He just said, I'm doing a new thing. And so what has, right. what has felt really jarring in this whole experience. And, and so this is why I'm getting pushed back, right? Like I'm, I'm pushing back against the system because what has felt really jarring is I'm like, I feel like I'm reading a different book. And what it feels like is like, I've been gaslit and manipulated by the church Mm. and I'm just done being quiet about it. But you would say you would make, if I'm understanding you, what you're saying, you would say you feel kind of gaslit by the church. You feel disowned by the church, abandoned by the church, but not necessarily God. Is that, is that right? So explain, explain that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I have a thousand questions about God. And I, yeah, I have so many doubts and probably not probably me 10 years ago would 1000% think me today is not a Christian. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And perhaps I'm not a Christian anymore, (laughs) or maybe I have a more authentic and real quote unquote Christian faith than I've ever had in my whole life. I don't know. Um, but for me, it's never been a question of, is the divine real? Is God real? Um, I've had spiritual experiences I can't explain. I, I honestly, I was, I was talking with my podcast producer yesterday and he's Jewish and um, him and his wife are pregnant. And, you know, he was like, Oh, like our little boy is as big as a lemon today. And like, he's growing ears today. And I'm like, wow. Like, gosh, the miracle of birth, like how can there not be a higher power, you know? So I haven't really had as many problems with the, like with God. And Mm -hmm. the more I research who Jesus is, the more I'm like, holy hell, this Mm -hmm. is like totally a person I want to be like, and I want to be around. And, and the Jesus story still feels like the story I'm willing to be wrong about. Mm-hmm. But I think so much of the God story has been hijacked by Christianity and Christian culture and patriarchy within Christian culture. And I, I think without sounding like, without over-spiritualizing everything, 
what I, what I, what I, my lived experience is that the church in America has a blueprint that is very flawed Mm -hmm. and not all churches. I'm actually have a, a church in New York city that I've been a part of for a few years that has been one of the most healing experiences in my entire faith walk. And I'm so honored with how my pastors, their ways of being and how they seek God and community and, um, all of that stuff. Um, but I would say as a whole, it's just what it feel, what it has felt like is that we have a blueprint that is broken. We have Mm -hmm. a blueprint in the American evangelical church that actually does not have a core center of Jesus or God or connection or redemption that Mm -hmm. has a core center of primarily narcissistic male behavior. Mm. We have churches in America that often protect the leaders and then leave the congregation, leave the vulnerable, Mm -hmm. um, oppressed and hurting. And, so I don't really remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm just curious, you know, for a lot of people, you know, church and God are pretty closely connected. And so you're for a lot of people. It's not. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm <laughs> that, you know, like for these, for as much as the last year has been difficult for you, mm-hmm. you've never quite, you know, uh, I think one of my questions I wrestle with is like, is God good? is God yeah. on my side? Because mm-hmm. I see the world, I see the church, not not looking great on either end. Yeah. I see people, mm, mm-hmm. some good, some bad, you know, pretty mixed bad. So like, yeah. is is God good? Like, what is, what is God up to? Yeah. And um, I think that, you know, for your, for your journey, I think it's so important to, you know, to tell your story as a, you know, a, a single wom- woman that mm-hmm. grow, grew up in a church that said you have to get married or you're not valuable. Mm-hmm. And somehow you've been able to find value, maybe not somehow, but you've been able to find value. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering yeah. how that has shaped your relationship with God too. I don't know what all my questions are, but it's yeah. like, it's in there, you know, this yeah. idea of your relationship with God, I think has got to be, there's got to be something there that's pretty stable. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe I can just even go back to, so first of all, one of my biggest questions has always, it's my, for me, my biggest question has not ever been as God, does God exist? Mm -hmm. Even from the time I was a young child, I, I just, it never occurred to me that there couldn't be a creator. However, a huge thing for me is, is God good? Do we have more of a distant agnostic experience of God? Did God set the earth in motion and kind of be like, peace out, do your own thing. Is God personal? Is God good? And I, I was a Bible major, like I shared in college. And then right after college, I immediately jumped neck deep into the nonprofit world. I was doing advocacy for a nonprofit based in Northern Uganda. We were doing advocacy for a war going on there and child soldiering. And, um, I traveled all over the U S, um, for about three months doing events every day and every day talking about this war and every day, meeting other people, starting different nonprofits, whether it was for trafficking in Burma or um, North Korea or human trafficking in America. And I remember getting done with my time at this nonprofit and feeling like so heavy 
just so inundated every single day with so, so much atrocity and so much pain that I couldn't explain away. I couldn't, I could no longer be like, well, you know, God is good and God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Like it felt really trite and dismissive. And I remember getting back from being on the road with this nonprofit and I just, I was like, okay, no, I believe in God, but I just don't think God is good. And I would wake up every morning and read the newspaper and just like clip out clippings and paste them in my journal of just like another earthquake, another, like another person dying, another school shooting, another this. And I just was like, God is like, what, where are you? And none of my theology helped me in those moments. And I remember getting an opportunity during that time to go with the nonprofit that I was working with to Uganda and going and seeing our work on the ground and meeting people and going into IDP camps and meeting refugees. And I was like, honestly, like if I go on this trip, I will definitely not believe in God when I come back. Like Mm. this, I cannot imagine stepping into the spaces where the most intense pain is actually unfolding and leaving with any semblance of faith. And yet I found myself going on this trip and on the plane ride, I read two books. I read the, a book by C.S. Lewis called a grief observed. Have you read that? Yes. Oh, it's, Yeah, it's so incredible. It's, it's, yes, it's about him processing the grief of his wife's death. And, you know, he's this theological giant at this point in his life. And then he experiences this, this, this expected death actually. And all of his theology goes out the window. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just like neck deep in grief and questioning everything. And that felt really humanizing to be like, wow, like I'm not alone. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I read this book, The Good News About Injustice by Gary Haugen, the guy who Mm -hmm. started International Justice Mission. And that was really eye-opening. And then I find myself in Uganda and I'm on this trip. And um, one of the Sunday afternoons, we were riding a bike and it was just me and two other girls on this trip. And we stumbled upon a group of secondary school girls they lived on campus all of them were orphans because their parents were killed in this war and we're sitting Mm. there just talking and then all of a sudden all the girls start gathering and they're 10 11 12 13 and then one she must have been like 12 years old girl gets up front and she just says like yells out god is good and all the girls like stop what they're doing and they're like all the time and Mm -hmm. she goes all the time and they go god is good and then everyone just starts singing and worshiping. And I'm just sitting there like, how can, how this makes no sense to me. And then it's like, girls are, I mean, like girls are just bouncing off each other. God, thank you so much for your provision in my life. God, thank you for this school. God, we're praying for a movement in this city. Like, oh my gosh, just this faith that was so real. It was visceral. And I left I left that day at that secondary school and I was like, I don't understand it actually makes no sense. And none of my questions are answered. But what I do know is that somehow God is good. Mm. If like these girls who have nothing can say God is good, then, then like 
something about that, like just ignited my heart. Mm-hmm. And so I share that long story because, you know, even now that was about 15 years ago, I've gone through multiple phases of like, is God good? And how do I reconcile the church and this? And mm-hmm. what I've realized is whenever I make movement towards the thing that might blow the whole thing up, or whenever I ask the questions that might make me not a Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. Like those have always been the places that God meets me that experience the divine in such profound ways. And so I think having that experience all those years ago was such an anchor for me of like, okay, like it was really the first time in my faith where I started to step into the gray mm-hmm. and Um, it was the first time that I really understood that if God's real, then God doesn't have a fragile ego. Mm -hmm. The church can have a very fragile ego. I can have a very fragile ego, but if God is real, God's ego isn't fragile and God is not threatened by my questions or doubts or me Mm -hmm. wandering outside the confines of what might be acceptable, you know, to seek and research and find and knock on doors and turn over stones. And so, so yeah, I don't know how that all works with my experience currently with the church. I don't know what that looks, looks like moving forward, but what I do know is that I typically experience God in the gray. And in the pain. And when I give myself permission to be where I'm at, wherever that place may be. Yeah, I I, I want to say it's in your book or it might have been an interview or a podcast that you did, but you kind of share this idea that people don't, you know, you're talking about writing your book, I think with a friend and you were saying like, people want to hear or you think people want to hear like happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Like people want to hear not the stories of rejection and the stories of failure, but actually like, especially in terms of like romantic relationships. Yeah, totally. And so your book dives into some of that rejection mm-hmm. and that's kind of I'm what you're saying about faith and your faith in God, like through the periods of like darkness and questioning and the difficulty of going to Uganda and seeing the pain and suffering and poverty somehow they were able to find God. So now what does that do to my faith? And let's, mm-hmm. it's almost like that's your journey of sexuality too. It's like, you mm-hmm. are asking questions that are taboo. You're talking about questions that are taboo. You're talking about rejections. You're talking specifically about even today, like feeling rejected by the the church and people that raised you and like mm-hmm. what that must feel like to be rejected by people that you thought, no, this book is to help you. And now mm-hmm. you're going to reject it and throw it back at my face. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so powerful. And I think I love that you dive into some of that, like you, that you're very vulnerable with like, Hey, this didn't go well. Hey, I was, I was feeling this on a date. I really mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, have sex, but I didn't. And just like, I think it can be like, I'm sure really difficult to write those stories. I know it's been time, but yeah. I just, I just appreciate those stories in there. Cause I think it's oh. going to mean a lot to people and I know it already does, but yeah. thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I, years ago when the book was first on, on my radar, so it was actually first a blog series on the refined woman called sexless in the city. Okay. And the series was me falling in love with this guy. 
And it was this like magical, explosive, like all consuming, like, oh, it just was like awesome. This, I felt like I was like Carrie from Sex in the City. Just, I was like (laughs) swept off my seat, my feet. I lived in New York. We were going on these beautiful, epic dates. I was just so in love and I wanted to write that story. And I was like, oh my God, I was like, buddy, the elf, like I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. Like, I just was so, we were just, this guy and I were just googly eyed and just, you know, Mm. in love. And, um, I remember talking with my friend who was in the right uh, publishing world about it. And he was like, yeah, that book doesn't sell. Hmm. I was like, why? They're like, he was, people want to hear the story about your ex, the Mm. one that like you couldn't shake you kept going back to he kept cheating on you he didn't want to commit to you you followed him around on social media you begged him to hang out with you he was like every girl's been there you know like talk about that and i didn't want to right he was like talk about your relationship with your dad i was like no way my um relationship with my dad is very layered and um he struggles with addiction and was in and out of our lives and has been the source of a lot of pain in my life and in my family. And I didn't want to write that story. It's too hard. It was too painful. Um, and so my friend encouraged me to put the book on the shelf until I was ready to talk Mm. about that stuff. And, um, yeah, so now, and then it was, I think three or four years later is when I started writing what is now the book. Um, And yeah, that book is full of like embarrassing moments of, or not, I'm actually not embarrassed of it. I just look at my younger self and I see like a young woman who didn't know she was worthy. I Mm -hmm. danced on tables and I got drunk and I smoked weed sometimes and I wasn't having sex, but I was doing everything but that. And I was having guys sleep over in my bed, but feeling guilty about it. And I didn't know what I wanted. Um, I dated guys that were treated me terrible. I dated guys who never wanted to commit to me. And then I would like beg them at midnight to come hang out with me. Like, I mean, I have done some stuff. I have done some stuff from low, low places, but I think we all have experiences like that. And like, I am so grateful for every one of those men in my life. The Mm. one that I, that I, the ones that I fell in love with, the one that treated me like crap, the ones that, you know, stood me up and rejected me over and over again. Like I'm thankful for every experience I've had with my dad, because every experience has without it sounding cheap or contrite, it really has shaped and transformed me and um been mm-hmm. such access points for growth um yeah now do i want the rom-com ending sure <laughs> yeah it's, who doesn't <laughs> it's, not, it's not over yet not over yet <laughs> well i definitely can relate to those those painful things and you say mm-hmm. in, embarrassing i think i said embarrassing too it is easy to label them that way, mm-hmm. but I think it's more appropriate, you know, painful. Like I yeah. have a lot of pretty painful relationships. I, I think I'm at a place where I can say I'm thankful for all the people um, <laughs> I dated. I just feel like I, you know, I didn't treat them well sometimes. And I definitely was that codependent 
person mm-hmm. of like, oh, I need you. I need you, you know, and um, mm-hmm. I can't live without you, you know, like the whole Jerry Maguire speech, which I feel mm-hmm. like has kind of shaped part of our culture in an unhealthy oh. dating environment. Oh my gosh. Have you so, seen that movie recently, by the way? No, not recently. Oh, no. I think I watched it in the last two years and I was like, oh, it's, it's like good. hard. Now that I've done so much therapy <laughs> <laughs> and I've done so much like recovery work, I'm like, this is so toxic. Like red flag, mm-hmm. red flag, red flag. It's like, I can't really even enjoy it. Cause I'm yep. like, yep. you aren't my, actually I'm whole. I'm not broken. Right. I don't need another person to complete me. I'm actually already complete. It would be really nice to have a partner, you know, like I want to see that story, but man, the whole Jerry Maguire story, he treats her like crap mm-hmm. the whole time. I'm like, woman, yeah. I want you to get in your worth. Like you are worth yeah. so much more than the scraps that this guy is giving you. But yep. I can only see that in her because for so many years of my life, I settled for scraps of attention, scraps of relationships, because deep down, I really didn't know if I was worthy right. of the whole thing. Yeah. The whole shame of not being, not being good enough. We didn't really get into shame um, too much, but you know, maybe there can be a part two. I don't know, yeah. but I, I just, you know, like there is a lot of this that is in our world and in our head that just thinks I'm not worthy. And then we go and do all these things because we're acting out of that place of not worthiness. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm really grateful that you've, you know, despite everything you've gone through, it seems like you still are, I'm sure you had moments, but at least today you can be like, Hey, God finds me worthy. And that's like, whatever else is going on in the world, I'm not too happy about, but you seem to, I don't know. It seemed, I I guess I should let you speak, but um, (laughs) what, yeah. What would you say about what God thinks of you? Maybe that'll be a good closing question. Oh my goodness, man. It's definitely taking me a long time to get here, but I think God thinks I'm good. Mm -hmm. Actually, God thinks I'm very good. We love to start the God story in chapter three (laughs) when everything goes to shit, Mm -hmm. but actually the story starts in chapter one. Like God exhales humanity into existence and says that humanity is very good. Um, I think that God thinks that I'm good. I think God thinks that I'm a reflection of him, um, that I am worthy, that I'm enough, that I am known. Basically everything that I have always wanted, I believe that I already have access to because of who God says that I am. And I think for a long time, I struggled in a lot romantically career relationships. I just felt like I'll never get the thing I really want. Cause like, I just don't, it's like, I'm just waiting for everyone to find out how much of a fraud I am, how much of a piece Mm -hmm. of crap I am, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then, because deep down, I thought I was a piece of crap. That's what I attracted in my life. And now I'm like, I think I'm pretty awesome. (laughs) I'm really proud of who I am and, and not just who I am today, but even the painful moments, that girl was worthy. That younger self of me was enough. It's sad that she didn't know that, but it doesn't change what has always been true about me is that I've always had everything. I've everything that I've been looking for, the enoughness, the worthiness, the value, the dignity, it's always been there. And, um, And I think that's because I am made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. 
I'm a reflector of God as we, as every human is, no matter what you do or do not believe every human matters. We, we, we breathe, we exist, we matter to God, period, the end. Well, go buy her book, Sexless <laughs> in the City. Thank you for taking time with me today. Thanks really so much for having this. me, Andy. Yeah, this has been really fun. Cool. Thanks for listening to this show today, everybody. I just want to give a few shout outs. Today's music, the one and only Josh Cleveland. Today's artwork and all the Winter Faith artwork and digital design. Dominique Montaigne. The intro was done by Scarlett Fox. And I am just grateful to be creating and editing this podcast. My name is Andy Frazier. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Winter Faith Podcast. Subscribe subscribe on all those platforms. And also we are on Patreon if you would like to support the show. And also leave a review on iTunes at the Winter Faith Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Thank you.